listeners. I'm Suzanne A. Wells, your host, and this is episode number 57 of eBay the Right Way. Today's date is April 20th, 2022. Patty Paul is my guest in this episode, and she has some excellent trash to cash knowledge to share. So listen up and take notes. Hi, listeners. Today we have Patty Paul with us. And Patty, say hello to the listeners. Hello, listeners. Hello, Suzanne. Happy to be here. (laughs) And we always start off with where you're located. So I'm in Vernon, Connecticut. Um, We're about 20 minutes northeast of Hartford. And I'm about 10 minutes to some really good shopping and about 20 minutes to a nice rural atmosphere. We're in the kind of right on the edge of the quiet corner of Connecticut. Oh, so that is an affluent area. Hartford, isn't it? Um, ish. <laughs> ish. Okay. Okay. Well, I'd maybe- say like down, downstate more towards like New Haven and down by the shore. That's more affluent. We're, we're more of working class, um, environment up here. <laughs> yeah, I know every city has its, or every state has its different pockets of, uh, affluent areas. So, um, I get that. Well, everybody's real estate is going up anyway, just because of the pandemic and everybody right. moving out of New York City and, you know, wanting to get a little bit more of a, you know, country life. Right. Um, so I'm in, I'm north of Atlanta and I'm not near what people think of as the affluent areas of Atlanta, like um, Buckhead. Um, that's like a 30 mile drive for me. So while the sourcing is probably better, um, I just stay out on the fringes of <laughs> Metro Atlanta <laughs> and I find plenty of stuff here. So I don't have to make oh, that. Oh yeah, here trip. too. Here too, for sure. Okay. Well, the next question I normally ask my guests is the important one. How did you get started selling on eBay? Well, I'm, I want to say I might be one of your longest sellers because I don't think I ever heard um, somebody selling as long as 95, 96. And I had to fact check that because, you know, how as time goes on, you like kind of like get blurred with dates. But I started selling with my ex-husband. Mom passed away. Um, we were in our late 20s, early 30s. And she um, didn't have a lot of money. She had died at a young age. And we wanted to help a stepdad out. And um, I had heard of this new platform called eBay and my husband and I, we, uh, we were travelers. We had this really cool camera that took pictures. It was a Sony. It took pictures on a three by five floppy card. So I could take the pictures of the items and load it up into the computer. And uh, that's how I started. Um, The first thing I sold was this little plastic desk ornament. Uh, It was from the peanuts. I think it was Snoopy. And I think I got like $12 for it and they paid for the shipping. And I was like, there's no way I would have gotten 25 cents for this in a tag sale. So I was right. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so you started pretty much right when eBay started. Yeah. It was um, the wild west back then. <laughs> I remember the first time I ever heard about eBay, I was at home. We were living in Tennessee I was just playing with my kids that morning. Um, They were maybe one and three, 
real little. And the Rosie O'Donnell show was on and Mm -hmm. she was talking about this new place online. You could sell things called eBay. And I was like, what is that? You know, I was very interested in how it all worked. And of course I didn't start until 2003, but um, yeah, I remember when that first hit the news and nobody really knew what it was or I mean you were really selling back then on a wing and a prayer because you know you would have you would sell the item and then the person would either mail you a check or a money order and then I remember you'd have to mark off in your little eBay account that you've got the money order and if you got a money order you could ship it right away if it was a check you had to wait till the check cleared um so that was like a whole other process and then you just I mean, I remember just saving my receipts. You know, you just bring it to the post office and hope that I would get there. It was crazy, you know, now that you think about where we'd you know, come. I know. And it's been almost 30 years for you. Yes. I mean, well, I'm like a stick to it sort of person. Um, I've actually worked in my day job for this is my 33rd year. Oh, <laughs> so wow. My mom says. My mom says I don't like change, but I just, I say I just stick to, stick to things. (laughs) Well, and I'm like that too. I, once I make a commitment, I do everything in my power to make it work. And and that can be good or bad. And like, you know, relationships, I stay in them too long when it's like, I should have left five (laughs) years ago, but (laughs) it carries over into some you know, ways that kind of backfire, but, um, you know, any kind of project business, um, I stick to my commitments. And I think that's what you're saying is, um, you just, yeah. Well, and it's been fun. I've always just looked at eBay as something that's been fun. It's never been work to me. It's just always something that it's just, you name it, I've sold it. I mean, other than maybe clothes or plush, I don't really, (laughs) I look at those plush animals and I'm like, I'm like a, just my eyes get wide and I'm like, oh, the deer in headlights. <laughs> okay, good. Then more for the rest of us. That's the way I think about it. Um, it's like all the electronics and stuff that doesn't interest me. I'm like, hey, that's more for somebody else. Yeah, Go for absolutely. it. You know? Absolutely. Go for it. So um, you made a comment on the Facebook group about mm-hmm. an item that you have specialized knowledge in. And um, so, first of all, let me ask you, what is your regular day job that you've been doing for, what, 30 years? Um, I am a manager in a small family-run chain of liquor stores. Um, So I started in 1989. We're now run by the grandkids. (laughs) When I first started, it was parents. (laughs) And then the kids, and now the grandkids are in their 30s. Um, I had the opportunity with this company to travel all over the world, uh, learning about wine. I visited wineries in Europe and South America and California, and it's uh, it's been a fun job. But uh, back to the Facebook post, um, I had come home from work one evening, and I was just scrolling through the post, and a lady was selling a or wanted to sell a, a Perrier Jouet champagne gift set. And the question was, was A, could you sell the gift set and um, could you sell the champagne? And B, was it still good because it was about 30 years old? And um, I was going to comment and it had already, the uh, comments had been turned off. So then I emailed you in the morning and I said, you know, have you ever thought of doing a trash to cash um, thing about selling empty liquor bottles? Because that's that's definitely a thing. People sell empty liquor bottles mm-hmm. on eBay for some of them for big, big money. 
And that's when you uh, invited me onto the podcast. And that's fascinating because my only experience with that is I was selling some things on consignment for, um, well, this is, this is how I met the love of my life. <laughs> um, he found me to sell some stuff and he was a world traveler. And, and that's kind of how we, one of the ways we connected, but he had a uh, Yadro gift set that when he lived in Italy, they got it in Spain and it was a wooden box that opened and the bottle was in there and it was a, a collector item. It was, it was, uh, manufactured to be a collectible, but it had never been opened. So um, I believe I sold it as a collectible and it was full. The bottle was full and that was allowed as long as it was sealed and um, as a collectible. So let's tackle that question first. How does that work on eBay these days? Um, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not sure because I've really never sold any full liquor bottles, but I do know that uh, Jim Beam makes uh, decanters that are, some of them are worth some money, some of them aren't worth a lot of money, and those also would be full. So I'm not really sure what the actual rule is on that at this point in time. Okay. Uh, well, one thing that's great about podcasts, I can insert that information. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll find that out and... Um, and, and include that later. I just, I, I ambushed you with that question. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, um, you know, I, and we actually have some old Jim Beam decanters in the basement where I, you know, where I work and I've passed them a few times and I've looked them up, but they really don't seem like they're going for a lot of money. So I never really bothered with them. Okay. Um, I don't really, I don't really harvest a lot from my job, you know, <laughs> well, when we uh, first spoke about doing this podcast, I was like walking around the store, like looking everything up because <laughs> I was like, oh, I wonder what this would sell for. I wonder what that would sell for. And that's when I ended up selling those, uh, the Clico champagne uh, ice jackets for like $75 for four of them. Um, they were just jackets that encased the champagne bottle. They had a little zipper and a little snap on the top. Okay. And, uh, and, supposedly to keep the champagne cold for a couple of hours. And I remember when I put these on the shelf in November, I said to myself, these are really dumb. Like somebody's going to bring this home and put it in a drawer and then throw it away <laughs> in 10 years. And then I looked up to see how much they were selling for. And they're not dumb. <laughs> they're actually selling for some good money. <laughs> and so are they like a, um, what kind of fabric are they? It's leather. They're made of leather. Ah, so leather. The, the champagne, Clico champagne goes from anywhere between, they, in our market, it's like 60 to $80 for the rosé. And then there's just the regular non-vintage brute. And these were, just came as a, like an extra item on the champagne around the holiday time. Somebody else had commented on that post that, you know, the, the Clico label is kind of a, you know, BOGO be on the lookout for just because like a lot of their little tchotchkes that come with the champagne are still, you know, fairly sought after. Yeah. There's a lot going on in that category with uh, ice buckets and all of the accessories that go along with um, champagne and wine and liquor and all of that. Um, And I've seen these bottles that are flat, like somehow they're flattening the bottles. Have mm-hmm. you seen that? Yes, you can see like there's um, a vodka brand. It's called Grey Goose. 
Mm-hmm. And the bottle is, it's very striking. It's very tall and it's frosted and, and the letters are painted on. And I think people are buying those empty bottles just to do crafts with. Either you're putting little fairy lights in them and putting them on a table because they're very pretty or mm-hmm. they, what you just said, like people flatten them. So I've looked at Terapeak and it looks like, you know, you could sell like four or five. If you're a drinker, you save them up and you can get like $50 for four or five of those great goose, goose bottles. So. Do you know what the process is for flattening them? Is that what something people do in their home in the oven or do you know? It's a kiln process. Yeah. I do know somebody that, um, that did it and she would always ask me to be on the lookout for the blue bottles, you know, the pretty bottles that were out there and and she uh, did ceramics. So I think they just flatten them in a kiln. And I have not even looked those up. I saw a few of them one day at a goodwill. And I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. This bottle's flat. So um, <laughs> now I'm going to have to go investigate that because once I saw them, I started seeing them again. So mm-hmm. um, that would be pretty easy to ship because, you know, it's flat and there's no, there's no inside that where the bottle could crush or anything. So, correct, um, yeah, it, you know, you just wrap it up in bubble wrap and put it in a box. That seems pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to the Facebook post. So was it the pink bottles? Is that the one I'm remembering? Um, the champagne, um, the ice jackets were on pink bottles. Yeah. But okay. the one that the, the one that I was going to comment on was a hand painted bottle, the Perrier Jouet champagne, hand painted okay. bottle and glasses. And what do you think that would sell for? Um, I think empty with the empty bottles and the glasses, glasses are going for about 15 bucks, maybe for one. So 30 bucks, you know, plus the bottles, you probably get like maybe $40 for it. Well, I'm not a drinker, but you know, now that I know this, I might have to indulge a little bit more often. (laughs) Save the bottle. (laughs) You know, if you're going to a recycling center and you see glass, um, a lot of recycling centers don't do glass anymore. It's not profitable the, uh, process is expensive. So, um, you know, it just, that this kind of opens up a whole new world of where you can get bottles to sell because also um, I think that some bars just throw them away. So mm -hmm. if you know somebody that's bartender or in the bar industry, you know, I was actually out with some girlfriends. So another category that's, um, we should probably touch on as far as liquor bottles is the bourbon bottles. So, Bourbon right now is so hot as a collectible. People drink it. They they are kind of chasing down those very rare and limited bottles. Um, there's a huge market for that right now. And so there's um, a distillery in Kentucky called Buffalo Trace, and they make a bourbon called Pappy Van Winkle. Now, Pappy Van Winkle bottles, some of like the 25-year-olds, you could sell for over $1,000 on eBay empty. It's crazy. So this is one of those things when you're cleaning out, you're downsizing, maybe there's been a death and you're cleaning out all the stuff that's been squirreled away and you happen upon a bunch of empty bottles. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I had no idea this even existed. Now in Atlanta, the Coca-Cola bottles are the thing. People collect Mm -hmm. those and some of them are worth money, but most of them that I've ever encountered, um, there aren't just because there's so much of it, you know, there, it really has to be a limited in number collectible thing, but I had no idea about this, um, 
opportunity. Yeah, old Rip Van Winkle. Um, you see some sellers, and I think that their bars probably they'll do a, like a, a five bottle lot of like a ten year old, a twelve year old, a twenty two year old, you know, and then they'll sell that for like seven hundred dollars. It's crazy. Well. I've had some conversations with some bourbon aficionados and the word on the street is what's happening is that there's a black market out there for it. And people are refilling these bottles with cheaper bourbon. They're sealing them up and then they're reselling them. Um, And I did talk to um, somebody in the industry recently and they're saying that the bourbons that are released today actually have like holographic images on the top. So that they would be, you know, you wouldn't be able to do that. But obviously that's not the case on something that's older and true vintage. So. Well, that is very interesting. (laughs) Um, So have you personally sold any empty bottles? No. (laughs) (laughs) The expert has not sold any. She just knows the, the, the market for them, which that's, you know, hey. No, no reason to sell something that's not worth anything, but um, I hope the listeners' ears are perking up either if you're, you know, bourbon's your thing, or if you know somebody or somebody in the family or a relative collects all these bottles. I mean, it's like Mallory and her beer cans. I mean, Absolutely. who knew that beer cans could sell for over a thousand dollars? Just one well, can. The funny, thing, the funny thing about that is, I'd listened to that podcast and I was chuckling because way back in the early days, somebody had come into the store with a whole can of collectible beer cans, a whole bag of them that they were trying to, you know, get a nickel for, for our deposit. Cause we have a, a bottle bill here in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I'll buy that whole bag for $20. And there was some of those cone top beer cans in there, a lot of steel beer cans and they weren't going for the money they're going for today. I mean, maybe $60 for a cone top, but that was crazy. The money that she got for those, you know, it's yeah, just, yeah. I mean, she's just got time. <laughs> that specific one. Well, she knew that her dad was an avid collector and she mm-hmm. knows that um, she's got some winners in there, but it's, it's going through all of them. She says she's got just tubs and hundreds of tubs of, beer cans to go through. And it, it's going to be a process that takes years. Um, but as far as what we're talking about here with liquor and champagne bottles, um, I used to go to a recycling center that had one of those long sort of shallower dumpsters. It was maybe four feet tall. So you could see in it mm-hmm. like what's on top and everything and just thousands of bottles of all kinds. And I'm thinking, Hmm, maybe I need to revisit that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't have to be a dumpster diver. You can just look at what's on top and and get plenty. But, um, I mean, gray goose is, is pretty common. You see that everywhere in liquor stores and Costco and all of that. So, um, it's just a matter of saving those bottles and seeing what you can get for them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, there's also, uh, there's another bourbon out there that's a little more common. It's still made at that same distillery, Buffalo Trace. It's called Blanton's. And those bottles are going for maybe about $20 empty, according to Terapeak. But the other thing about those bottles is they have um, the cork on the top has a little horse and they're all hand numbered. And then the, the horse has a letter. So you can collect all the letters to spell Blanton's. 
So it's a very arbitrary process. I've actually at the distillery, we saw the the bottling room and there's just people sitting at a table and they have all the, uh, all the tops like on the table and they're just randomly like putting them on the bottles. So you never know if your market's going to have enough L's or A's or N's. But that's definitely a thing as well. People are collecting those. It's like collecting the things out of cereal boxes. Collect all seven, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that that we used to do as kids. And that Mm -hmm. stuff's probably worth a lot of money too. But um, now um, you sell other things. What kind of items do you have in your eBay store? Oh, goodness. Well, my, I'd say specialty is vintage Christmas. I, that's my, you know, I always gravitate towards that. So I have last year, I picked up uh, basically a truckload, literally a truckload of Hallmark ornaments. So I've been like, you know, you were saying Mallory and the beer cans, and it was going to be years <laughs> to go uh-huh. through all the stuff. Well, that's kind of me and the Hallmark ornaments. I've, I've whittled through quite a bit of them. And I started actually took out the last two tubs and started lotting them out instead of selling them individually. I was doing, you know, like five and 10 lots. Uh-huh. So um, I also just got another online auction lot of, um, I would say like probably 80s to 90s, um, the old, um, the light up Santas and the glass QVC items, um, I got a whole bunch of those. So my whole basement right now is like boxes and boxes of Christmas stuff. Oh, old mercury glass ornaments, uh, shiny bright ornaments. And, oh, I love those. Um, so, yeah, me too. So yeah. um, um, what else do I sell? Just, just basically like anything that's shippable. <laughs> I mean, I don't do too many um, I mean, I do browse the thrift stores, but I'm more, I more go to an auction, online auction, estate sale, and just get a big lot of stuff. And then I'll bring it home and I'll go through, right? Half of it will be eBayable. Half of it will be tag saleable. I always have a big tag sale a couple times a year with, uh, my next door neighbor who's also a really good friend of mine. And, uh, we just, you know, just do a whole weekend of it and, you know, clean out some of the junk. And then, you know, I'll bring some of that back down to the thrift store, anything that doesn't sell. So I'm trying to like, you know, not have any death piles. <laughs> well, and you have a full-time job too. Yeah. So I'm 44 hours with my day job. Then I do eBay. And then my husband and I uh, run a small self-service farm stand at my house as well. So I have a big vegetable garden. Oh, nice. I plants. Yeah. I do plants in the, uh, in spring and then the transition to the vegetables in the summer. Oh, wow. So you're so I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was going to say, as far as buying in lots, that's, that's a time thing because you can, you're not under pressure at that moment at the estate sale, at the auction, you could just buy a whole bunch of stuff and then work through it at home right. on your own time when, when you can work it in. Um I have a college friend that um, runs an auction house the next town over from me. So like, I'll go up there a couple of times a year and, and he is basically just selling to dealers. He does it like Tuesdays all day. And um, I get like a table lots from him, you know, at a really good price. When, when a couple of years ago, I got a whole table lot of antique linen. So linen tablecloths, linen napkins. I mean, it's like, I think I spent like 40 or $50 for, Again, a whole truckload <laughs> full of antique linens. At that, oh, wow, been, that's fun. 
restoring uh, slowly and selling slowly. <laughs> um, and those are easy to ship. They don't take up a whole lot of room. I mean, you're talking tablecloths, cloth napkins. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do you ever find any of the dish towels that are embroidered that, you know, from the fifties and sixties? Mm-hmm. Yep. Stuff like that. Um, or even like the runners that go across mm-hmm. the dressers. Like there was a whole bunch of that and that lot. And, and I did, I learned a lot because um, I learned how to, to actually restore them. There's a product out there that I use and then just line dry and, and, uh, and um, iron. And so they're beautiful, just like they were when they were first made. So it's just kind of a fun process. What is that product? Um, it's called Restoration and it's made by Angleside, E-N-G-L-E side products. I think they're located in uh, Lancaster. So that might be part of like the Amish community, but it's like a powder. It's almost like an OxyClean, I would say, OxyClean on steroids. And you do like a two-day soak. So you do a quick soak and then you do an overnight soak and then you wash them. And it literally takes those yellowed um, and any stains and just, they just disappear. It's, uh, I... I did the research because I remember going into antique stores and seeing these beautiful linens and saying, well, how do they get that to be so white? Right. <laughs> you know, because when you, when you get them, they're all yellowed and nasty. And uh-huh. <laughs> But yeah, this product works really, really well. And it's called Restoration? Restoration by Angleside. Okay. Excellent. I'm going to look into that. Um, and, you know, you, you talk about uh, cloth napkins, even handkerchiefs. I mean, handkerchiefs were used like Kleenex, so those can be mm-hmm. kind of gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yep. um, you know, I swear by OxyClean, um, it, it works magic, but um, it really does. Yeah. Nice to have yet another product to test out and see. Um, that's what keeps me from buying things sometimes is that it's like, oh, I don't know if I can bring that back. And I know you can sell things in any kind of condition, but it's just a, uh, a personal thing where I just don't want to put something really nasty in my store. <laughs> I just I know, I don't feel good about that. <laughs> no, I agree because, you know, you just don't know what the, you don't know where those stains came from. And I don't know, things People like visually appealing things. I think, you know, of course there could be collectors that, oh, I can fix that, but then it's going to come as a price. So, you know, if you can fix it and sell it at a higher price, I mean, that's my philosophy anyway. Um, My neighbor, I've kind of teamed up with for years, we would just, you know, if I had a Saturday off, we'd go to tag sales together. She's the best cleaner in the world. She's like very OCD and she's very meticulous about it. So, you know, we would get this stuff. I'd be like, okay, clean. <laughs> and she, you know, clean and take the pictures and then I'd list it and we'd just split it. It was just fun. It was fun, fun time. Well, I actually so. like the rescuing process. Um, and I do this with cashmere all the time. They'll have holes and it depends on where the hole is as to how the repair is going to look. You know, is it an underarm seam that you can just quickly stitch back together? Is it a cable knit um, like you're wearing that thick cable knit sweater right now? If it's if the hole is somewhere that can be inconspicuously repaired, you know, I just I feel like I'm getting away with something. I feel like it's a victory when I buy something (laughs) and, you know, get that stain off. I bought something a few weeks ago that was white 
I think it was like a tennis dress and it had a big stain on, like you could tell the person was probably eating a sandwich and it dripped sauce on it. It was right there on the front. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder if I can get that out with OxyClean and my little bleach pen. And I did, I rescued it. Awesome. um, I think it sold for $40. So it's awesome. Just, it's kind of part of the, the game, I guess, you know, it's a game to me. Oh, can I rescue this? It's $3. Mm-hmm. What can I do? And if you can't, you can't. But that's, I think, the reason a lot of other sellers leave things behind is they're not perfect and they don't want to fool with rescuing them. And um, so then I, I also find that I think a lot of people, they're too intense about looking up comps. So I have to look this up to see if there's any comps on it. Well, a lot of things out there, there's not going to be any comps Mm -hmm. because it's a very unique item. And so like a lot of times I'll go to the estate sale and I'm picking over the leftovers and have done really well on things that, you know, might not immediately seem like it's, you know, something that's sellable. Glassware, a lot of glassware. There's a club and my friend Ashley in Atlanta coined this term, the challenge of the leftovers. There's <laughs> there's a group of sellers like, are you in this club where you know, that really, um, you know, excites you to be like, okay, it's the last day of the estate sale. What's still here? You know, you yep. don't know who's been there in front of you and what they know and what they're willing to do. And there's always stuff left that can be profitable. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm definitely in that club for sure. I mean, in the beginning with the estate sales, I would go and I'd be the one that would knock on the door, get the number, and I'd be wanting to be the first one in the house. And now I'm just going on the last day because it's true. It's absolutely true. And it's fun. Yeah. Maybe we should start another Facebook group like, um, you know, the challenge of the leftovers and people post things they rescued. Like, you know, here's the before and here's the after. And it took me 10 minutes to do this um, just to show that things don't have to be perfect. And I maybe that's a more of a newbie thing where people feel like, um, you know, it's going to be a problem if it's not perfect. But um, collectors don't care. Um, And as a matter of fact, I was helping a friend over the weekend go through some things and uh, we were sorting like sell, donate, throw in the trash. And she had these burlap bags, like potato sacks. Mm -hmm. And some of those, like this, the biggest one held 143 pounds and it was like four feet long. Those sell for like $50 or more, depending on if what advertising is on them. People Mm -hmm. are making all kinds of things like valances, curtains. Um, They're taking the bags and putting string lights inside of them and make a fun porch decoration, like I had no idea all this repurposing <laughs> was going on for something that's so plain and, and really ugly. Burlap is right, not right. pretty. <laughs> oh, I agree. Um, yeah. I mean, you just really have to keep an open mind. I think when you go sourcing for stuff um, and then things that you just don't think are, would, would be valuable. So I had gone to this estate sale and the lady, um, who had passed was a ceramics instructor. So in the back of the house, there was a whole ceramic studio and it had all the Atlantic molds, you know, on the walls and, and on the side, there was a big box full of plastic pieces that go in the ceramic Christmas trees, you know, the, the Christmas tree bulbs. 
and she, all sorts of ones. So there was like doves and regular bulbs. And so I got the whole box for $20 and I bring it home and I start looking them up. And some of the bulbs, are, you know, they're not worth a crazy amount, but there was one particular type is called a rocket bulb. And it had like glitter, like encased in the plastic. And it, it almost looked like just like a little finger with like a little edge around it. I made some great money off of those. Those are going for like $2 for one bulb and I had hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of them. So, and who would have thought that these little plastic pieces that go in ceramic Christmas trees, you know, would be worth that kind of money. I know. And like you said, you have to look at everything, but after a while, you just, it's an inner knowing it's an instinct. Like you don't have to look everything up. I do look things up. Like if I've never seen it before, I should have looked up those flat bottles, but I didn't. I just thought, oh, <laughs> somebody just did that at home. Because when you see it the first time, it's like, oh, somebody just did that at home and donated it. I didn't realize that was a thing. So, um, but then, you know, Terapeak, you can't access it on your phone. There's no app. I mean, you can go to the site on your phone, on the internet. And I just find that very tedious to do on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you get home and you have access to the one year history and um, uh, that lamb I sold that Eden plush sold it for three hundred twenty five dollars. Yeah. There was only one on there in the past year. So. Um, it was in such good condition. It was a dollar. It's like I was going to buy it anyway. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's the thing is I wish I wish there was a Terapeak app where it would be, uh, you know, formatted for your phone because going on the internet and and sometimes it's like takes forever and you, you can't get an answer and you're like, I got to move on. Um, but after a while it just becomes a a knowing. And if it's only a dollar, you know, that's not like a dollar. I'm I'm like a take a chance person. So if it's a book and it's not going to sell and I either sell it at my tag sale or I donate it, you know, I'm, I'm probably, I'm planning on, my husband and I are planning on retiring to Florida in about four years. So um, I'm going to probably switch and then I'm going to do eBay full time after that. So I'll probably switch my business model a little bit and maybe spend a little bit more money on my inventory to get the higher dollar sales. I'm like, I do really well in like that $30, $40 items, but you know, I'd like to be in that three or $600 club, like the cake that you sold recently. That was wonderful. Oh, I think I was so impressed. All of my neighbors heard me scream when that happened. What's (laughs) happening over there? You know, and I was, I couldn't believe it. Um, No offers. I had watchers on it, but a lot of times my watchers are just other sellers that are interested Um, and just boom, full price. And I want to be in the the George Kelly and the Casey and the uh, Ginger Lampbright Club where they're, you know, and Mallory selling things thousand yep. dollars uh, consistently over and over. And, you know, it's just it's a journey. It's a process. You have to get there and you have to be willing to take chances and try different things. And um, there's just so much to learn. You are never going to know everything. Oh, because like tomorrow, tomorrow, something different is going to pop up that really? That's a thing? Burlap sacks? Mm -hmm. You know, really? (laughs) I had gotten an auction auction lot. It was an attic. It was basically an attic lot. And it was a whole bunch of books. And 
I don't know, I was going through what, what was there and I found there was um, a box of uh, old box of chocolates, but I opened it up and it was full of uh, rabbit feet keychains. You know, from like the seventies, those oh, colored foot. Foot. like you ran yeah, 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 the mirror. Off the <laughs> they used to chop like off the rabbit Everyone had foot. one, you know, on your belt, on your jacket. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I sold those for great money, and they went to Japan. That there was like Japan collectors out there for like lots of rabbit feet keychains. It was crazy. So again, there's just another item that you really wouldn't think. Now, was it a real rabbit's foot or was it just real rabbit's feet? Yeah, no, real. And so that's allowed on eBay because they're cracking down on, um, you know, animal cruelty things like ivory stuff like that. Yeah, this was this was probably about maybe five, six years ago. So I mean, it wasn't kicked off. So, but you're right. I didn't even think about that. All I know is like, yeah, you can't you can't produce those anymore for sure. (laughs) Right, but I think. yeah, there's a whole section on eBay policies about, um, I think, you know, antlers and um, mm-hmm. all those things people mount on the wall and uh, definitely ivory, um, all those kind of yeah, things. Yeah, I, I knew um, I knew about the ivory and um, I actually did have one listing removed. It was a World War II. It had some Nazi um yeah. implications and they immediately remove that so i i just try to stay clear of stuff that you know it's going to be an issue you yeah know, but. i never thought that anybody would even want rabbit's feet <laughs> <laughs> well somebody in japan did <laughs> no, i mean you get these little clusters of of people that want these very specific items for whatever reason is it fashion is it some kind of funky video game they they all play or those um japanese uh comic books that mm-hmm. that has a huge following with all of the you know sailor moon outfits and um all that kind of stuff for these conventions dragon con comic con you know just there's all kind of things people want and it's just all these little miniature universes existing next to each other. Like, oh, wow. Sure. I don't know well, that's the many. beauty of eBay is that you can re- reach so many people. It's um, that's what I loved about it. Like way back in the beginning is, you know, it's, you know, I could sell something at a tag sale for a dollar or I could sell it on eBay for, you know, 30 or 40 because it just reaches such a large audience. Mm-hmm. You know, so back I, to uh, the collectible bottles, um, mm-hmm. you said, they're being repurposed. Now I would think weddings for uh, table decorations and putting the mm-hmm. lights on yep. and what, what other things do you think they might be used for? Um, so there's uh, some tequila. Well, actually, and there's another uh, vodka brand out there. Um, it's called crystal head and the vodka is actually, it's the bottle is a crystal head. It's a uh, Dan Aykroyd's vodka. And I think people just collect those because they're pretty. Um, those are selling for about $25 a piece empty online. And again, you know, I think people use those for Halloween decorations. Um, okay. There's also a, a tequila that's um, called Close Azul. And they're like these beautiful ceramic tall bottles. And again, I just think that, you know, people just use them for decorations as well. Um, they're hand painted and they're pretty colors and, you know, maybe they're putting olive oil in it, you know, something like that. Okay. Just use it for anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is, that's fascinating. And I had no idea that was going on. Well, the other thing too, and I mean, maybe your listeners are 
might be interested in this is so at the end of the holiday season, we get in a lot of gift packs with the bottles. So the gift packs will have glassware, mostly glassware. Sometimes it's some other kind of little tchotchke. And these gift packs kind of take up real estate on the shelf because they're wider than, say, the normal like shelf set is. Mm-hmm. And um, there's everything's free to us. So we'll break it all down and put these glassware and whatnot in a cart and sell them for 50 cents a glass or a dollar a glass. Well, I was just looking up some of those <laughs> and realized that like some of the scotch glasses, I mean, they're selling for decent money. So if you go into your local liquor store after the holidays, you see a whole cart full of glassware. It might be good to pick some of that stuff up. Um, that is a great tip. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I was like, who, who would want this? <laughs> well, <laughs> now I know. <laughs> well, I think you have to have the, the reseller mindset because usually like Christmas is over. People are done. They move on. They don't care anymore. But the reseller mindset is like somebody might collect this. Somebody might want this next year. Somebody might have this and it broke and they want to replace it now while they're putting their decorations and all their Christmas stuff away. So you have to have that reseller mindset of would anybody want this? And um, it's okay if it's not the holiday it was made for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Now, how many items do you have in your store? Um, 670, I think right now. I'm doing a pretty big commission project that I'm kind of regretting. <laughs> oh, like right. I kind of got, got guilted into it by my husband. And since I complain about it every time I'm working on it, I don't think he'll ever do that again. But I've been selling um, movie memorabilia. Um, it, it was this estate where this, uh, the lady who passed was a teacher. And her and her husband had money from their parents. They actually lived on, if you're familiar with golf, uh, the TPC Highlands uh, Mm -hmm. golf course in Hartford. Yeah, that's where the estate was. It was a condo like overlooking one of the greens at the TPC. And this lady, she had, I mean, they just collected artwork and yadros. And so I I came in and she had this whole closet full of movie memorabilia, boxes, boxes of lobby cards and posters. And I mean, you name it, has to do just scrapbooks and magazines. And and I said that I would do it. And it's been, oh, I think I lotted it up to like over 400 lots of stuff. I know. <laughs> and it's a lot of research and it's a lot of paper, but the lady's been very patient and, you know, we're not making a crap load of money on it, but you know, it's been trickling in. Well, I so, think that that's a great way to learn new stuff is selling things to other people because you don't have to make any decisions about buying it. It's just right there in front of you. You just look it up, yay or nay. And then, you know, going forward. So like, if you ever see that thing again, you already know, and it's a good free education, but it does take time. Correct. And she had a lot of uh, the world's fair memorabilia, which is actually selling pretty well. So that was opened my eyes up to that. I sold uh, one view book. I think I posted it on the Facebook group. It went for like a hundred dollars. So it was just a little book. What year world's fair was it? It was 1893. Oh, super old. It was okay, old. That's yeah. antique. Yeah. Right. Okay. I, when I was helping my friend, we came across a uh, black and white photo of people 
in, um, I'm guessing it was like 1890 based on what they were wearing and the hairstyles. And um, that was really interesting to research because a lot of the uh, unsold listings, the key words were terrible. They didn't put mm. Victorian. They didn't put, you know, they just put old family photo, black and white. And like, you know, this was, uh, they had the Gibson girl hairdo, the pompadour hairdo, and the men, you know, had, you could see their pocket watches. And um, it was weird because there was like 10 people, there was a row of, of standing people and then a row of seated people. And then there was one um, portrait superimposed up in the corner, like, you know, this is Joe. He couldn't make it to the photo shoot, or maybe he's dead. And this is his ghost. Yeah, like he was dead. <laughs> so we didn't know what was going on there with um, that one photo. And um, I've actually sold quite a few old photographs. Um, I've sold some photograph albums, just from old family albums from like the 40s and the 30s, 50s. Um, one was a uh, world, the gentleman was in World War II. So it was all pictures of him and, you know, his army barracks and just, you know, just pick, you know, everyday life in the army pictures. And that right. went for, I think, $125 for just the album itself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I think as all this downsizing continues and, and, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, we all got to go sometime. <laughs> so it's just, accumulation that nobody's looked at for decades. And now that right. stuff is, is worth something. Um, we were going through my friend's things and we found scissors, it's like old sewing scissors from her mm. grandmother who would have been born early 1900s. And she was, a, you know, she was, I wouldn't say a seamstress, but you know, she could sew. Right. And, um, you know, those scissors were worth $40. I was going to say they probably were worth some money for sure. I forget. They the, don't make them like they used to. The, one of the brands was Wiss, W-I-S-S, and they were pinking shears. And I thought, you know, you could just pick them up and they're so heavy. It's like, okay, these are going to be worth something because now, um, you know, with all these zillions of craft stores and everything, they make, you know, all these cheap, cheap mm -hmm. accessories and notions for sewing. But this was very high quality stuff. And you know, so I love that process of going through things and just evaluating, you know, I don't know if I'm going to expand that and add that as a, a feature of my business, you know, come on site and help you sort through your items, because I think that's very needed, especially oh, when I agree. people are downsizing to go to assisted living and the person's still alive. And, um, you know, if they don't have dementia or even if they do, they remember stuff from back then, you know, from way mm -hmm. back and they can tell you the story and where they got stuff and all about it. And um, I just, I find that fascinating just looking at all these old things and figuring out their value. Yeah. I've actually helped quite a few friends go through estates and, um, and you're right. It's fun. It's, it's, it's definitely a process. And um, I had one friend, her mom died. She, um, basically grew up in Manhattan and her mother lived in New Jersey. So she was kind of came to age to the mother in the forties and maybe early fifties. So she was a socialite in Manhattan and she had all the accoutrements. Uh, so she had like a lot of pocketbooks and um, opera gloves and all sorts of, you know, just kind of fashion 
things. And yeah, we sold all that on eBay. It was wonderful, but it was just fun just going through other people's stuff. <laughs> yeah. We went through a box of gloves and there were all different kinds. There was kid skin leather. There were long opera gloves. Um, and those, those can go for a lot of money. Yeah. Though. They can go for some good, if it's their leather and they're real, real long. Yes. Mm-hmm. They, they're definitely a market for those. Yeah, they're a little so hard to photograph. Cause like my hands, I mean, I have regular hands, but um, this lady had like really, really thin hands. And it was like, well, how do you show? We you know, saw that glove? too. Like we didn't even <laughs> get our hands in there. We're like, they're so, their fingers must've been tiny. Um, I was like, I can't even get my little finger in one of the, <laughs> one of the slots there, but I don't, maybe that was a thing back then. Everybody's hands were smaller or um, we just, we just had somebody who had, they probably were like a lot younger. I mean, maybe it was for, you know, somebody who was 17 or 18 or 19, you know, just got married, you know, all that the debutante stuff and the wedding stuff. And yeah, people got married much younger. So anyway, that was all fascinating. Now, what is the item that you have sold for the most money? Um, well, I sold a, uh, German camera, this was probably in 2005, 2006, and that went for $750. It was uh, one of those like really intricate. I had the whole case in the outfit, and that was from my neighbor's parents' estate. Okay. And um, I've sold some Christmas items for in the $400 range. I'd sold a Mr. Christmas um, oh, Nutcracker Suite. It, it was basically, it was like this like tabletop thing and had a curtain, the curtain opened and then all these little like figures would like dance around and it was a music box and that went for like $450. Wow. Yeah. So, oh, I sold some plates um, for $400. They were like those collector plates that nobody really wants, but these were um, made from a producer in China. I think it was Bradford exchange had them and they were uh, the Geisha girls so it was a set of 12 and I shipped those back to China, which is not weird how it goes back to where it was made. <laughs> back to the homeland. That happens with sweaters made in Ireland. They sometimes go mm-hmm. back there or things made in Italy go back there. It's really strange, but Hey, if I got what you yeah. need. I'm let's put a price on it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really not afraid to ship anything anywhere. I was listening to uh, Casey and your podcast with him, and and he said I don't I don't worry about the shipping until I have to ship it, and I'm I'm kind of on that page too. You know, I mean, I have enough supplies, and I definitely have supplies at my workplace. You know, if I need a bigger box or something like that. Um, so well, I think that's a confidence level. You have to do it a while and then you're confident that you can ship anything. And like, you just kind of know, okay, this breakable thing, I'm going to add a pound to the weight for the packing material. You just, you just kind of know, you don't have to have it figured out at that moment. So it, Mm -hmm. it does. I'm always estimating. Yeah. It does come with practice. And if you, if you underestimate, okay, it's no big deal. Like you're not going to be out thousands of dollars. It's just, Right. You know, you'll make it up somewhere else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like when I ship first class things to California, I'm in Atlanta. Um, Some of them are $9. I know. And so I do calculated shipping. And so it's going to be whatever shipping cost. It's 
to get to whatever location. It's based on the buyer's location, but I'll ship something one zip code over here and it's $5, but to go to California, it's, it's $9 sometimes. And yeah, that's why I I don't do any free shipping anymore because it's, it's invariably that's what's going to happen is it's the person who buys it is going to be the furthest away from you. (laughs) And then you're out, you know, the extra, extra dollars. So yeah, I don't really. Yeah. And as a buyer, I always sort by lowest price to highest because I might find the exact same thing very close and the shipping is going to be less. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people shop that way. I don't think people are being fooled by free shipping. It's not free. You're building it into the price. Right. Right. But eBay likes a lot of things that I sell are like one of a kind items anyway. So it's not like I have crazy amount of competition. Uh, Right. I mean, maybe the Hallmark ornaments, there's a lot out there, but other than that, you know, the photographs and the movie memorabilia and, you know, some of some glassware, you're pretty much the only, only person that's selling that. So it's very unique. eBay is competing with Amazon with this free shipping. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people aren't that dumb. They're not going to think, oh, I'm getting something for free. No, the price is higher on the item because the seller is factoring that in. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Um, what is the most complicated thing you've ever shipped? Oh, a couple things. So I sold a, I think it's called a Vaticum. It's, um, it's basically a box that Catholics put on the wall for last rites. So it's fairly big and it's, it's got an indent. So you could actually sink it into the wall and then it, you'd open up the cabinet and it would have all the things for the last rites. And they're very elaborate. They had like stained glass and this one was all stained glass, had a cross in there and I shipped that to Spain and it wow. had to be, yeah, it had to be I don't know, like three feet long. It was, it was, it's, it was fairly large. So no, yeah, and I was just really worried about all the stained glass and the glass, you know, going that far, but it made it, which was good. Well, I'm not um, Catholic. So what's in that last rides box? Um, well, it's got a cross and I think that there was a vessel to hold like holy water and maybe a prayer book. I forget exactly what was in there, but it's, it, but it's a very like elaborate, like pretty piece because it's, it looks like a stained glass window on the outside. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously you're not opening it right, <laughs> that right. often. Yeah, true. So is it something that hangs in the church? No, it's in your house. Oh, in your so house. if the priest like, has to come and do last rites, you have everything. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's called, it's called V-A-T-I-C-U-M, Vaticum. You could look it up. They're really pretty. This one was like, I think from the late 1800s, maybe early 1900s. Oh, nice. Okay. So yeah, I think yeah. uh, the um, the Northeast, you guys have more, um, your items can be a lot older, I think, than what we see in mm-hmm. the South because, you know, that's where the United States started up there. <laughs> Yeah, and especially in my in my area, you know, you go into the northeast corner of Connecticut and there's a lot of farms. I mean, people have been there for, you know, over a few generations. So it's it's um, yeah, there's there's a lot of older things that you can find for sure. Well, and people used to bury things that were valuable um, to hide them, especially during the Revolutionary and the Civil War. They buried their valuables. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard Lynn that was on. She's up there in the Northeast and she does metal detecting. 
So they're finding things all the time that yeah, that's fun that were buried or just uh, somehow got buried over time. Um, I mean, think about that. You're you're hiding your valuables from um, you know the British, and then the person who buried them died, and nobody knows where they are. Nobody knows where and it is. So here we come along, hundreds of years later, and we're finding them. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, and also like especially like so, my house was built in the 1800s. And um, I was digging out a garden and I actually found an old trash heap because that's what they did is like if you wanted to throw like glassware stuff away, you would just like bury it in the backyard. It would just be a big mound of trash. So I got like old medicine bottles and things like that that I've just dug up from my own backyard. Just I actually found one the other day. It was a little uh, little brown hazel atlas medicine bottle. Oh, really? So you're going to sell that? Yeah, I think so. I think I'll probably lot it up with a few other ones. So. That's interesting. So you have your own little archaeological dig in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> you could find dinosaur bones back there. Who knows? Well, <laughs> I mean, older houses, it's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> you can't do one project without having another 10 just looking at you in the face because oh, it's, right. Uh, yeah. And as soon as you get one thing up to speed, you know, it's next to something. Oh God, now I got to fix that. You know, I got to yep. replace this window because it's, it's the wall around. It looks all brand new, but the window is hundred years old. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did a kitchen renovation and we realized we didn't have a foundation in the back <laughs> that they oh, had built no. the house on a field stone and that field stone obviously is not a foundation. So um, yeah. So we've had some expensive repairs. Yeah, that would be very expensive. I commend anybody who lives in an, an old house like that. Um, I mean, it's it's historical, but it's a lot of work. Um, we lived in a house that was built in the 50s when we moved to Tennessee <laughs> and we were building our house. And it was I couldn't get out of there fast enough. It was just one thing after another. And the worst thing is there was no dishwasher. I had to um, wash yeah, I lived with a dishwasher for years. We finally put one in, but... No, I, I totally can appreciate that. And no closet space. Right. So that's the other thing in an older house. Okay. So I have mo- my inventory is in my basement. Oh, you have that's, a basement. That's good. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's an old fieldstone basement, basically. It's dry. And uh, I got it all partitioned off. The pile that I need to list, the pile that has been listed. <laughs> I have shelves down there and everything. So, it so it's kind of like a cellar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Like you see in all those spooky movies going down to the cellar. Oh yeah. That's my, <laughs> that's my cellar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the last thing I ask is what kind of advice would you give to anybody starting eBay or struggling? I mean, you, you're a veteran, you've been doing this for over two decades now. Yeah. I mean, don't second guess yourself. Just, you know, just go for it. I think that, you know, don't be, um, don't worry about all the what ifs, what if, what if this, what if that, I mean, you could what if yourself to death, but you know, sometimes you just kind of have to jump in and do it and customer service. I mean, I've been in the customer service business for a long time being in retail and, you know, I think that makes a business stand out is if you do have good customer service, you know, you package things well, you're not using empty cereal boxes to ship something in, you know, you, you write, thank you, you know, and on a piece of paper and put that in there, just, you know, little things 
always answer a question like that. Well, that's, and, that's great advice. I mean, it doesn't get more basic than that. Just treat people the way you want to be treated as a customer and you'll do yes, fine. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day. Um, now, do you work thank from you. home on your regular job? Uh, no, I'm actually in the store. So I put the key in the door in the morning and I close the store in the evening. I also do marketing. So I do have an office as well. So so how did you manage to be available today on a weekday? Oh, I work four days a week and most of it is over weekends. So I have time off during the week. Ah, it's, okay. it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Like everybody's like, oh, happy Friday. Well, that's happy Monday for me. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, it's, I like having days off during the week. I always work on the weekends because I just avoid the crowds. I don't really ever go anywhere. And during the week you can do all your errands and your business and it's not as crowded and crazy. So, you know, it's trade-offs no matter what you get. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will let you get back to whatever you're doing, relaxing or working on your eBay. (laughs) (laughs) Probably Um, do it for eBay afternoon. I, yeah, I just, uh, I just wanted to let you know, like, I really admire you. I mean, you really you know, built up a great business and you're just always really positive. Like, I really like that. So, oh, well, thank you. Just, Some... uh, I enjoy, you know, I'm like a little cheap. So I'm like, you know, oh, do, do I really want to join the premium content? But I really am really happy that I did. And I, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from you. So, you know, okay, great. Well, you know, I try to make everything very high quality and most importantly, focused and to the point. Like here is your six minute lesson on this. The, the whole ad free thing on premium library is I think a great point. I like my information packaged well and concise. Yeah. So yeah, anyway. no, and, and I did, I mean, I used your, um, your form letter. I had gotten bad feedback just like randomly. And I'm just like, well, where did this come from? Oh, I remember Suzanne has these little form letters for that and used it and it got removed within like six hours. So excellent. I'm so glad. Oh, good for you. Okay. Well, um, thanks again. And we will see you on the group. All right. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks again for coming on the podcast, Patty. I sure learned a lot from you, and I know that my listeners did too. I'm going to end with a motivational quote. This one is about time. It says, time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. Once you've lost it, you can never get it back. So just a reminder to use your time wisely, whatever you're doing, whether it's working, family time, or just time for yourself to relax and reset and enjoy life. And thanks again for making this podcast part of your day. I will talk to you next week. Make it a great week on eBay. Bye.